Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. We realize, Lord, without your grace, we have nothing. Lord, no, nobody here stands in a relationship with you on our own merit. It's because you love us. It's because you have called us out of darkness. It's because you've invited us into this relationship. Even as, as we sang tonight, Lord God, we're simply responding to your invitation. Lord, you have initiated this relationship and you have graciously uh, offered us forgiveness through a relationship with Jesus. And beyond that, God, you give us the Holy Spirit. You give us your word. And so we know how to live as Christians because of what the pages say before us. So we pray once again that you'd be our teacher, that you guide and direct us tonight as we look to Genesis chapter 40. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many have compared life to a tapestry. You know what a tapestry is, right? It's those big rugs, very artistic. There's usually some uh, great detailed image on it, but you don't actually walk on it. You hang it on the wall. I was in Ireland, and we saw a rug from, like, I want to say the 12th century, a tapestry rug. It was pretty impressive. Um, but the back of tapestries are pretty hideous. You turn that, th- that piece of art around, and it's just really ugly. It's knots and strings. It's hard to make out exactly what it is. Uh, but the front, it's this beautiful, detailed piece of art. And every little strand, if you look closely, every little string and strand has a p- significant purpose in the picture that it's, it's creating. Well, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Poema is the word. We are His, his masterpiece. He's, he's creating something glorious out of our life. And though from our perspective, things look messy, right? Your, your life, your story, if you were to tell me your testimony right now and how you grew up and all that, I'm sure there's a lot of ugly knots that are like, I don't get it. It's, it's, it's nasty. I don't like looking at it. It doesn't make sense why this happened to me. But from eternity's perspective, from God's vantage point, He's weaving this masterpiece together. And every, I want to tell you this, every ugly knot on our side is serving some sort of purpose on His side. And that's, that's one of the joys and, and hopes that we have as believers. That every difficulty we face is for a reason. It's never a waste. Well, tonight we continue to make our way through the life of Joseph, and God is really weaving a great masterpiece with his life. We know a lot of his life, how it ends in retrospect. However, as we've been following so far, it's really just been a lot lot of ugly knots. Nothing great has happened to Joseph yet. Some cool dreams early on, but mostly trials and tribulations since then. He was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites passing by. They were going to kill him, and they decided it was better to make a profit off of him, so they sold him. The Ishmaelites then sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar then eventually threw him into prison. It's just a bunch of ugly knots and injustices taking place against Joseph. It doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. It's not the path that you would expect to lead to greatness, but it is the path that God intended, and we don't always understand that. And I want to tell you this, God is intentional with your path as well. He's very intentional. He's not haphazard with your life. He, he takes every 
moment in your life and uses it for your good, right? Romans 8.28. And God will often use the trials in your life and in my life to accomplish His work. In fact, I bet we'll get to heaven and find out the most beautiful parts of the tapestry on the other side are probably the ugliest parts on the back side of the tapestry. The most confusing, the most difficult things from our vantage point. And, and one thing that we should keep in mind as we consider this about life, as we look at Joseph's life, is that the Bible says apart from faith it is impossible to please God. And guess what? When you can see the other side of the tapestry, when you can kind of make out how beautiful it is, it doesn't require a lot of faith in God. It's when you're standing there staring at the back of this ugly rug, you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what picture this is supposed to be. Is it an alien? Is it a cheeseburger? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's in those moments that you need faith. It's in those moments that your faith shines. When life is messy, when things are happening, and you don't know why God is allowing this tragedy and that trial It's in those moments that faith is required and that faith shines the brightest. And therefore, it's in the ugly, messy parts of life where you have the most ability to bless God's heart with your faith as it shines through. Joseph has a few more knots to deal with, as we'll see in this chapter. But what's amazing is he continues to to shine. Joseph really is a stellar example of the faith. Almost, Almost annoyingly stellar. Like, he's so flawless that it can be annoying. But he's such a great, amazing hero of the faith. So we're going to continue to glean from Joseph here in chapter 40. Quick recap, though. Last week, last chapter, uh, he was working for Potiphar in Potiphar's house, managing everything. Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph resists. By the way, if you want to listen to a good teaching on temptation, check out last week's podcast. Super important. Uh, uh, things we learned from Joseph, how to deal with sexual temptation and other temptations as well. So he resists, and then she accuses him of rape, and so Potiphar throws him into prison, where it's likely now been years of just sitting in prison. Managing, he's working, he's managing the prison, but he's in prison now for a few years. We pick it up in this spot. Verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. So you have these two officers, the, the baker, the butler, the baker, and the candlestick maker. No, no, they, I'm just kidding. There's just two. The, 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 the cup bearer, who would be the one in charge of, the, of Pharaoh's wine, of his wine cellar, everything that Pharaoh would drink, the butler would make sure, hey, that cup is clean, that wine is safe, nobody's trying to poison it. The baker was the equivalent of all the food, uh, the, the equivalent of the butler, but with everything that, the, that Pharaoh would eat. It was his job, head chef, to make sure that Pharaoh's meal was good, that it was safe to eat, and somehow these guys offended Pharaoh. Now, it could have been, depending on how temperamental this pharaoh was, maybe it was just a bad meal on the wrong day, right? Maybe his mashed potatoes were cold, and it was just like the last straw for pharaoh. But it was likely uh, an assassination attempt on pharaoh. So they don't know exactly who did it. They knew that security was compromised for pharaoh, and that it, it came the, the weakness in the security came either through the cupbearer, or the baker, or both. And so while investigation's underway, they throw these guys into prison. 
They just so happen to throw it in the prison where Joseph is working. So we ultimately know this, is, this whole thing is being orchestrated so that these men would meet Joseph and create an open door for Joseph. Verse 4, The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast? So notice in verse 4 it says that the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to oversee these guys. Who's the captain of the guard? Last week we learned the captain of the guard was Potiphar. This is likely Potiphar. It's his prison. He was the captain of the guard. This prison is within his jurisdiction with his oversight. And so basically what we learn about this is that Potiphar has an issue with Joseph in his household. But guys, Joseph is a really good worker. He's really gifted with administration. And Potiphar's like, I want to get the best bang for my buck with this slave that I bought. So now that he has to take him out of his house, he takes him to his workplace. He says, you did my job at home. Now you can do my job in the prison. So we don't, don't get the sense that like Potiphar is on Joseph's side. See, Potiphar, work, having had... Uh, uh, Joseph, as an employee for so many years, he, you better believe he would have known the story of Joseph. You know, stolen, sold to slavery, shouldn't be there. Potiphar, at this point, doesn't have any interest in freeing Joseph. He's, he's got an amazing slave here that he's going to put to use. And he has no interest in, in, freeing, in freeing Joseph. So, God is circumventing Potiphar's authority. He's bringing in other people. And Potiphar's like, hey, attend to these guys. But regardless of Potiphar's motives and intentions, we see Joseph faithful to serve wherever he goes. Faithful to serve under whatever circumstances that are thrown at him. Joseph is someone who really makes the best of a difficult situation. How? By serving. By being active and productive and serving whoever God places around him. And this is a very important principle. In fact, here at Ignition, we like to teach, we love discipleship, and one, one of the things we hammer here is the six practices of a disciple. The six things that we should be practicing as disciples of Christ. Worship, read, studying the Bible, praying, serving, giving, communing with those around us. And service is one of those things, a very important thing. And Joseph reminds us here that as followers of Christ, we need to be actively serving the people that God places around us. Joseph was limited. He was in prison. But whoever God brought in there, Joseph was active and attentive and serving them. And I want to ask, who are you serving in this season of life? Because it can get real easy to just be self-serving. To just get up in the morning and think, what, what does Sean want today? Well, Sean wants coffee. Sean wants a scrambled egg. What does Sean want after that? And just get in this mode to where we're just serving ourselves. As young adults, you know, you're trying to figure out the plans of your life. What, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, what's best for my life? Well, you know, who's the, who's the most handsomest guy or prettiest girl that I could potentially date? What, what's the best job that I could have? And all of a sudden, you're just, you're just thinking about how you can benefit from life in this season. That's not what life's about. You're created to serve others. You're created to benefit others. And Joseph got that. Joseph found fulfillment 
Wherever he was, he found fulfillment in that and satisfaction in that because that's what we were created to do. Who are you serving right now in your circle of influence? Are you intentional about serving people around you? Or does every environment you go into, is it all about how that environment can serve you? Just a good question to ask yourself. And I also want you to notice, guys, Joseph has concern for these guys, like legitimate concern. It it would be really difficult. You're thrown into prison based off of false accusations. You're not even supposed to be in there. Now you have to do all this work because your boss knows you're good at it and he's going to make you do all this work for free. And then he tells you to take care of these guys. It would be really hard to have heart in that job, wouldn't it? To actually care. My buddy who's in uh, the police force, in fact, Jonathan Alameda is one of the pastors here. He worked for TPD for a while. And he says, when you're, in, when you're in law enforcement, he says, one thing that people learn how to do is they shut off the I, I care switch so they can just get their job done. Because if they cared about every individual in every case, it would overwhelm them. And so he says, you, you do. You learn how to just shut off the I, I care switch. And you show up to these horrible scenes and you just can't care for everyone, he says, as a police officer. And I don't know, it'd be very hard to be in those positions. Joseph is in the penal system working in the prison as a prisoner and his eye care switch is on. He, care, he maintains a concern for people, even in this situation. And again, I think a lot of us would have a hard time even caring about what, caring enough to notice that these guys were downcast, let alone like asking another prisoner, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm in prison So, yeah, that's going for me. You know, well, of course he's downcast. Um, But Joseph truly cares. And guys, this is a characteristic that God greatly desires in us. And it's a characteristic that God uses in great ways. And that is when you actually care for other people. When you have a, a real concern for other people. And my hope, I hope that everybody in this room, everybody listening to this podcast, has a desire to make an impact for eternity. Like, I hope... Somewhere in your mind and in your heart, you realize, man, I need to invest in eternity. I need to make a difference eternally. Well, if that's you, this is the key. This is a huge part of it. Some of you maybe are interested in vocational ministry. Maybe you want to you know, pursue a, a leadership position within a church, serve in a church, maybe be a pastor one day. And my advice to you would be this. Cultivate a true heart, a true concern for other people. Really care. Now, I know it's, it's, it's difficult and it's hard to show concern for everybody, but let God cultivate a heart of concern, a heart of care for the, for the spiritual well-being of other people because that's going to be the characteristic that makes you an effective leader in the church. That's going to be the characteristic that makes you an effective witness at work, at school, because you actually care about people. It's huge. Don't miss that. As Christians, we are at our best, guys. Not when we're quoting Scripture or walking the straight and narrow, although those are good things. We are at our best when we're genuinely loving and caring for other people. That's when we're exhibiting Christ-like characteristics. So Joseph engages with these guys, even when he didn't have to. He cares. He wants to help. So he asks them, what's going on? Verse 8, they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So some of you 
are aware of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, Daniel, the story of Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and how there was like these magicians, these enchanters who would, who would interpret the dream, and Daniel came along. Similar, it's a similar culture here in Egypt. Dreams were highly mystical and spiritual, and they would have these magicians or sorcerers who would play the role of priest of sorts and interpret dreams, or at least pretend to interpret dreams. Right? It was a very religious spiritual thing. When you had a significant dream, you would go to your neighborhood psychic, your neighborhood sorcerer, and be like, what does this mean for my life? Kind of like the horoscopes. You know, and really, they're just fake. They're false idols. At, at best, they're just false idols. At worst, it's demonic. And there's actually demonic force behind it. But Joseph comes to them. He's like, do not, do not these things actually belong to, to God? Elohim is the word he uses, the, God, the, the true and living God, the God of creation. Right, they were polytheistic in, in Egypt. He says, do not dreams belong to the God? Tell them to me. In other words, reading between the lines, he's saying, hey, why don't you give the true and living God a chance to speak into your life? And I know him. Let me represent him to you. Tell me your dream, and I'll see if Elohim will interpret them through me on your behalf. And I love that. Joseph didn't wait Till he got out of jail to start being used by God. He didn't wait for some prominent position or some title to be used by God, to, to do ministry. He was available to God wherever he was. If he was thrown in the bottom of a pit, he was there with God. If he was made uh, you know, chief butler in Potiphar's house, he was honoring God. He was there serving God. And now he's in prison and he's here serving God. And guess what? God opens up doors for him as he makes himself available, available to be faithful to God. And I guarantee God will open up doors for you right where you're at to be used for eternal purposes if you make yourself available. If you honor God in the job that you're in, in the season of life that you're in, God will open up doors for you. I've worked a lot of odd jobs, a lot of weird jobs, for about a five-year stint, I was part-time ministry here at Calvary, and I was working two and three other jobs on the side just so I could maintain, I could pay the bills and, and be available for vocational ministry and, and do what God had me to do here. And so I worked some weird jobs. Some of them were monotonous. Data, one of them was data entry. Oh, man, wanted to rip my hair out. You just sit there like typing all day long at a computer screen. And it, it's maybe some of you might like that. It's not for me. And some of these jobs really felt like a waste of time. I struggled. I was like, man, Lord, is this what you want for me? I feel like I'm wasting, I'm wasting my life here. But as I was faithful to honor God in those work environments, faithful to represent God, I'm not trying to make myself the hero. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't do it perfect all the time. Um, but when I was available to God... God would open up doors for me. In every work environment that I was in, I had opportunities to share with people, to pray with people, to represent Jesus in the lives of people who never went to church. And it felt so good. And I would walk away from this job that I really hated, just to be honest. Some of them I hated. Some of them weren't too bad because I loved the people I worked with. But some of them really difficult. And I'd walk away from some of these days when I got to share with somebody, and I felt so fulfilled. It just reminded, God reminded me why I was there, that I was being a light in a dark place. And I got to tell you, like when I got hired on full-time here at Calvary, 
it was hard to deal with initially because I went from being like the brightest light in my work environment to being like kind of this dim nightlight compared to these other like older pastors that I started working with, you know, and, and it, was a, it was an interesting transition for me. But I miss, even to this day, I miss being a light in a workplace full of non-believers, being faithful to the Lord. And I'll tell you, you might be stuck in a boring job right now. It might feel unfulfilling to you, but serve those people as unto the Lord. Honor Christ in that environment and look for those opportunities to represent God and it will be fulfilling to you, I promise you. And it's hopefully just a season for you in that job or in that place, but honor God while you're there. Honor God, just like Joseph. Joseph's there and he says, guys, tell me the dream. Let Let me represent God to you. Hey guys, Pastor Sean here with Ignition Tucson. I wanted to bring you a moment of discipleship. One of the things that we often teach at Ignition Tucson as we seek to make disciples is the six practices of a disciple. These are six things that we should be doing if we are growing and maturing in Christ. Now, these six things aren't things that we would do to earn salvation, but rather these are things we do as a response to our salvation and as God's Holy Spirit is working within us. And the six things are worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune. And I wanna go over with you the six, these six things. The first is worship, that we would put God first, that we would not only worship God within our hearts, but externally, physically, allow our worship to affect our outside, that we would sing, that we would lift our hands and clap and dance, that we would be around other people who outwardly express worship as well. The second is read, that we would be men and women who study the Word of God, that we would be diligent and disciplined to grow in our understanding of God's Word. The third is pray, that we would be in communication with God, that we would talk to Him daily, giving Him thanks for all the things He's given us, uh, taking our concerns and cares to Him, asking Him for things that we would pray. The fourth is serving, that we would be men and women of service who don't simply sit on our hands and watch others do the work of ministry, but we would be active and engaged in not just serving at church, but that we would be engaged serving in our homes and in our workplaces, that we would get up and not be afraid to to be the one to take out the trash and to do the dishes and to volunteer and, and the children's ministry, and that we would do these things that maybe other people shy away from, that we would serve our community. The, fo- the fifth is give, that we would be men and women who give of our time, our talent, our treasure. And this really does speak of, of monetary giving, giving of our money, that we should trust God uh, with our finances and in turn give to the work of the ministry. That doesn't necessarily mean you give to this church, but it means that you give God money somewhere, that you support uh, the ministry that He is doing in the world around us. And then lastly, that we would commune. This word commune means to have fellowship. It has the idea of sharing meals with people, but what it really means is that when we are with people, we are present with them. We look them in the eye. We care about what they are saying and we engage with them as we seek to commune with God, that we would truly engage with God. And as you do these six things, worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune, you will grow in Christ, I guarantee it. 
We would love to invite you out to our in-person services. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus. God bless you.